Morning. All right. You guys there? Glad to, good to see you. I just want to thank Emily for Chad. Chad's out of town today, and Emily filled in, and just thank her for for that great effort. So today we're going to be in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. Last week we did a little detour to Job because we're doing chronological and Job happened about the same time as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And But today we're, we're back in order, as biblical order. Exodus, Exodus records uh, an important part. It's an important part of redemptive history, the history of redemption. It records God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. It's the Old Testament's really clearest picture of the deliverance that we receive through Jesus Christ. And today we'll be in chapter 3. This is the record, as Tom pointed out this morning, of Moses meeting with God. Moses at the burning bush. And in this story we'll find many parallels of how we today can meet with God. Now before we get to Moses meeting his maker... We need to set the stage. We need a quick review. Bring us up to speed. Remember all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, if you were with us, when God called Abraham. So he's going to call Moses today. He called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And God promised that from Abraham, he would build, he would create, he would make a great nation. He would give them a land and that this people that he would create, his people, would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Abraham and his wife, after a number of years, 25, finally had a son. His name was Isaac, the son of the promise. God's promise would continue through Isaac. Then Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, had two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau. And the promise would continue through Jacob, who God uh, changes his name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons which became the twelve tribes of Israel. Israel's eleventh son, Joseph, as we saw a couple weeks ago, was sold into slavery by his brothers. He went down into Egypt. But God used Joseph there. God used Joseph to bless the Egyptians, and God used Joseph to preserve the children of Israel. When famine struck the land of Egypt and the surrounding lands, Joseph brought his family down into Egypt, and he cared for them with the grain that he had stored up uh, during the seven years of plenty as they were experiencing seven years of famine. And so Genesis ends with the death of Joseph, and it ends with the children of Israel safely in Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And that brings us to Exodus. Exodus 1 records how the children of Israel increased greatly in Egypt. How they, in approximately 300 years of time between Joseph, after Joseph, how they had be grown into a large people. But Exodus 1 also tells how the Egyptians forced them into slavery. How their population was increasing so quickly that the Egyptians feared that they would rebel, maybe, maybe build an army and attack and conquer Egypt. So chapter 1 ends with the Pharaoh commanding this. Pharaoh says at the end of chapter 1 of Exodus, every son that is born to the Hebrews, Hebrew is another name for the children of Israel, you shall cast into the Nile. 
but you shall let every daughter live. Pharaoh's remedy for population control was to kill every male child. Chapter 1 ends in this tragedy. But then in chapter 2, we get the the famous story. Movies, TV shows, everything uh, about Moses. The story of Moses' birth. The story of Moses' deliverance from death. In a great act of faith, Moses' mother and his sister put him in a basket. And they take that basket down to the Nile River and they put put the basket into the Nile. And the daughter of Pharaoh finds the basket takes out the baby, which she names Moses, drawn from the water, and raises him in the courts of Egypt. So Moses spends really the first 40 years of his life in the courts of Egypt, raised as a prince of Egypt by the daughter of the, by the, daughter of the Pharaoh. So that's Moses' first 40 years. Chapter 2 then records how Moses, around the age of 40, Seeking to protect, he sees an Egyptian abusing a a Hebrew slave and seeking to protect that slave. He he kills an Egyptian. This resulted in him having to flee Egypt, having to run for his life. And he finds himself in a place called Midian. In Midian, he's married. He has a couple of kids. And he takes up the life of his father-in-law, who's a, a shepherd, Jethro. And he becomes a shepherd. And for 40 years, Moses is then a shepherd in the desert. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 3. Moses is now 80 years old. He's getting along in years. And in verse 1 we read, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So Moses is going about his daily uh, routine, tending the sheep, whatever shepherds do, I don't know. He comes to Horeb, this mount, which is better known as Mount Sinai, and would become, it wasn't the mountain of God then, but it's, it's the mountain of God as Moses is writing this book, and so it is the mountain of God because of what's going to happen in a minute in Exodus 3 and because the Ten Commandment thing and all that. So it becomes the mountain of God, and on the mountain, Moses meets God, and the first thing we see is that God called Moses. God called Moses. Verse 2, and the angel of the Lord, which is actually the Lord himself, appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. The angel of the Lord comes to Moses. The Lord comes to Moses. And notice that the Lord appeared. God took the initiative with Moses. God creates this encounter. As far as we know, Moses is not seeking the Lord. He's not going up to the mountain to have a mountaintop experience with the Lord. There used to be a bumper sticker. Maybe you're, I don't know, it was in the 70s, maybe into the 80s, I don't know. Bumper sticker that that read, I found it. You remember that? I found it. You'd say, well, okay. Which meant that the, the, the implication was that I found Jesus or I found God. But just so we know, God is never lost. We do not find God. God finds us. God seeks us out and God finds us. That's what he did for Moses. Now, now God gets Moses' attention with this burning bush. 
This really parallels our own experience, maybe your own experience. God will use many things to get our attention, to, to wake us up to His presence. Sometimes He uses the difficulties of life. Sometimes the struggles of ourselves, of our family members, just tragedy in our life. He uses them to wake us up. Sometimes He uses other people. He puts other people in our life who just share His love with us. He got my attention uh, the first time by the dramatic changes I saw in the life of my parents when they became believers. Maybe for some of you, He's trying to get your attention right now. Maybe there's this burning bush off somewhere and you're, oh, should I go over to it? You might want to follow Moses' example. Moses sees the unconsumed yet burning bush. It just keeps on burning. And he responds by heading straight for it. God sees Moses' response and calls out to him. You know, that's what God does. He calls out to us. He's calling out to us now. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is calling. Like Moses, we're being called into relationship, into fellowship with God. Pay attention. Turn aside. See what God has for you. Notice that Moses' call was personal. God knew Moses' name and He used it. Moses, Moses, God says. And Moses responds, here I am. Here I am. As we'll see, as we'll see Moses is, is going to argue with God. He's going he's to put up a bunch of excuses uh, why he's not suitable for the task that God is going to call him to. But he's listening. He's responding. He turns aside. He says, here I am. He responded to God's call. And, and God is still calling us. God is still calling us. He's calling us into relationship with Him, and He's calling us for the purpose He has for us. The question is, how are we going to respond to God when God calls? When He calls for the first time, when He calls for the 50th time, will we ignore Him, hoping He'll go away? God, I'm I'm busy now. Or will will we respond like Moses did? Here I am, Lord. So first, God calls Moses. And as we'll see, God has a purpose for Moses. And that purpose flows from the fact that, and this is our second point, God cares for His people. This becomes very clear in this passage. God cares for His people. Verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. God identifies with His people. This is His people. These are the descendants of Abraham. This is His chosen people. And He has empathy for them. Empathy is a a feeling another's pain as if it is our own. God sees their affliction. God hears their cry. God knows their suffering. And He cares. God says in verse 8, And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and and, and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God says, I will deliver. I will deliver. I will rescue. I will remove them from this situation. God acts to empathize, to see and to hear and to know the suffering of another person is, is good. You may be able to provide some emotional support, 
But deliverance comes through action. God acts on the behalf of his people. He gets involved. He will deliver them from their slavery, from their suffering. And God, because he cares, continues to act on our behalf. This is his nature. This is who he is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. Because of God's great love for us, he delivered us. He delivered us, not from slavery to Egypt, but from death and slavery to sin. We need to praise the Lord every day, brothers and sisters, that that His care for His people leads Him to act on our behalf. God is not just up there observing. God is involved. He's acting. Because He cared for the children of Israel, He acted first by calling Moses into relationship and then giving Moses a purpose, a mission. Third point, God commissions Moses. First, well, because of God's love, because of God's love for his people, he had a plan to enact. He gets involved. And when God has a plan to enact, when he has something he wants done, he commissions, he calls someone to act on his behalf. God, for whatever reason, has chosen to act through his people. He doesn't just magically conjure stuff. He could have done that, but he chose to act through his people. And that person in this case is Moses. He uses Moses for his purposes. Exodus 3.10, God says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God is going to send Moses to Pharaoh to deliver his people. That's a a lot of what the the story of Moses is, his encounter with Pharaoh. Because God cares, he sends. Because God cares and loves, he commissions someone to be involved. John 3, 16 and 17 records God's greatest commissioning of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God saw our affliction. God heard our cry. God knew our suffering. And he acted by sending his son, the deliverer, the savior of the world. And God continues to act through his people today. It continues on. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has to his disciples, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. God cares. And so God continues to send. Because God cares for the people of Malawi. He sent Kellen and Rebecca to minister them. Because God cares for the people of Japan. He sent Tim and Sue Driscoll to care for them. Look at your bulletin. In your bulletin, each missionary represents uh, the God who cares. And because God cares for people, then God commissions His people to go. So the question is, the question for us is, who is God commissioning you to go to? Who is God sending you to? He sends, He commissions every one of His children. He's commissioned us, I believe, as a church 
to be in this part of Riverside, to reach out to this area of our city. And if you're a child of God, then you've been commissioned for a purpose. Jesus makes that purpose clear. Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has all the authority. Go, therefore, he says to his disciples, to us, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In the same way God sent Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, in the same way God sent Jesus to deliver his people from sin and death, Jesus sends his church, you and I, to, into the world to make disciples. It's our mission to bring the gospel, this message of redemption, this message of deliverance to all the peoples of the earth. Do you see how it all fits together? By, 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 by taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, that's our commission, we, are, we become part of fulfilling the promise God gave to Abraham. Through all the peoples of the earth, Through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. That promise is continuing to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ, through His body, the body of Christ, the church. Now, being sent by God can sound a a little bit scary. It certainly was scary for Moses. Moses responds to his commission in the same way many of us do. He's full of excuses. He's full of uh, uh, reasons why he can't be used by God. But God answers Moses' excuses by promising to come with him. That's our fourth point. God comes with Moses, Exodus 3, 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, God said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God's pointing to that time when they would come out, the exodus, and come back to this mountain and surround and worship the Lord there. Now, if we had time, we could look ahead. And and if if you're following along with the reading, the last day, I think, was Exodus 1 through 4. So you've read this already. Exodus chapter 4. If we had time, we could go there and look at Moses continually making, I can't do this. I can't speak. I'm... Uh, you know, I, I have this problem. Give excuses for why he can't obey God's commission on his life. But in verse 11, he makes his first excuse. He says, who am I? I'm nothing special. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? There has to be some kind of mistake here. And Moses' fear is understandable. Because he's right. Who is he? He's, he's, he's a murderer. He's been chased out of Egypt. How can I go back? Now he's just, for the past 40 years, he's been this lowly shepherd. So God addresses Moses' fear with the greatest possible promise that he can give. This is the answer to Moses' excuses. This is the answer to any excuse you might have to obey God's call, God's commission on your life. God promises Moses, he says, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. Who you are, it doesn't matter. 
because I will be with you. I recognize Moses. I recognize Cliff. I recognize your inadequacies, your weaknesses, your struggles, but they don't matter because I will be with you. I will provide the power needed to accomplish the mission I'm giving you. And as we read through the book of Exodus, and that's what we'll be doing this week in our reading plan, chapter 5 through, I think, all the way to 29 or something, as Moses over and over again stands before Pharaoh and cries out, let my people go, God is with him. God provides everything he needs to accomplish his mission. It's, it's God, not Moses, who brings the plagues against Egypt and forces them to release his people. God says to Moses, I called you into relationship. I care about my people. I commissioned you for my purposes. And now I will come with you and provide the power you need to accomplish the mission I've given you. And you know what? Jesus promises us the exact same thing. He promises to come with us and provide the power we require to accomplish the mission. We're thinking, Moses is such a great guy, and God's with him, and he gives him the staff, and he does the plagues, and God's with him, but God's with us. We already read the Great Commission, Matthew 18, uh, uh, 28, 18 to 20, but I left out verse 20 for, for this moment. Jesus commissions, and then he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm coming with you. I'm giving you this mission to go to the ends of the earth, but I'm coming with you. And in Acts 1.8, he also says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As we go into the world to be witnesses, as we go into the world to make disciples, Jesus Christ is right there with us. The Holy Spirit is providing the power we need to accomplish the mission God gives us. We have no excuses. We have no excuses. They're null and void because Jesus is with us. When we deny, when we make excuses, we're saying you're not powerful enough. You being with me doesn't matter because it's about me. When God commissions, he comes. God commissioned Moses, and God comes with Moses. And he not only comes with Moses, but but he reveals himself to Moses. God communicates his character. That's our, our fifth point this morning. In this passage, God tells Moses specifically who he is, his character, his nature. I'm calling you, and I'm commissioning you, and I will go with you. And this is who I am, by the way. First, let's back up to verse 5. We skipped that, if you notice. When Moses first encountered the burning bush, and, and what we see is that God is holy. God is holy. Exodus 3, 5. Then he said, do not come near. This is God speaking to Moses. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place for which you are standing is holy ground. Now, the ground was not holy. By, this was not a holy mountain by nature. God's presence there made it holy. What does it mean for God to be holy? When we think of holiness, we think of sinlessness. We think of righteousness, and that's true. But there's more, especially in God's case. God's holiness refers to the fact that He is utterly, totally unique. He's separate from everything else. 
He's creator. Everything else is creature. We're, we're, we're made in God's image, but he's radically different than, than we are. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. This is why God stopped Moses in his tracks. Do not come near. Take off your sandals. It's holy ground because there's an infinite gap between sinful man and holy God. God is untouched by sin. And God cannot tolerate sin in His presence. God cannot tolerate sin in His presence. And that creates a big problem for us. We were created to be in the presence of God. And sin... Adam's sin passed down to us and our sin ruins everything. Every person in this room will one day stand before a holy, sinless, pure and righteous God. And if you stand before Him and in your sin, bad news, you'll be cast out of His presence for all eternity. Because He's holy and He can't tolerate sin. The most serious problem facing humanity is not war or famine or climate change or terrorism. The most serious problem that humanity faces is the effects of our sin on our eternal souls. However, good news coming. Praise the Lord. God has provided a solution to our problem. All right. In our sinfulness... We have no ability to solve our own problems. We can't make ourselves holy. How can something that's totally dirty make itself clean? But God, by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, a holy life, and then died in our place to take our punishment, the wrath of God came down upon Christ instead of us. God gives His, uh, Jesus gives His holiness then. His holiness in some mysterious way. Can't understand it. His holiness is transferred to those who trust in Him so that we might in Christ remain in God's holy presence throughout all eternity. If you trust in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for you on the cross, then you too can be holy before God. God reckons you holy, makes you holy. Again, mystery. But the author of Hebrews writes, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Through Christ's sacrifice, we are made holy. And then and only then can we spend eternity with a holy God. So the first thing we see is that God is holy. It has so many implications for us. The second thing we see is, what time is it? That's what we see. I don't want you guys to be late to any Super Bowl parties. All right? Okay, we're good. The second thing we see is that God is faithful. God is faithful. Exodus uh, 3.6, And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I'd be afraid to look at God as well. God reveals himself as the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is how God refers to himself throughout the Old Testament. I'm the God of these three guys, the patriarchs. Why does he do that? 
He's reminding his people over and over again that he's the God that made the covenant with Abraham. He's the God that repeated the covenant to Isaac and to Jacob. He's the God of the covenant. He's the God who's faithful to his promises. He will make his people into a great nation. He will give them a land. He will bless them and make them a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. God is faithful to his promises. That's why he calls Moses to deliver the people out of slavery to Egypt. Because he's faithful. To the, he's the covenant God. If he'd leave them in Egypt, there would be no land. He would, he's going to take them to the land that he's promised. God is faithful to his promises. The Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, Jesus Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We can rest on the fact that God will keep his promises to us because that's his nature. He's faithful. We don't have time to go through all the many promises that Scripture uh, gives us. Too many. Promises of abundant life, of answered prayer, of overcoming sin, of eternal life, of working all things for good to those who love Him or called according to His purpose. But as you read through God's Word, as you read through God's Word, and that's what hopefully many of us are doing this year, as we read through God's Word, as you come to His promises, know that He's faithful. Know that He keeps those promises. Praise Him for His promises and His faithfulness to them. And finally, we see, this is the big one, God is I am. God is I am. Exodus 3, 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to, this, to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, sent me to you, and they ask me, What is His name? What shall, we, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses asked God, what's your name? What's your name? Good question. If Moses was going to respond to this commission, if he was going to do what God told him and deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, he needed to tell them under what authority he's coming in. You know, I'm just Moses, the shepherd guy. Well, I used to be a prince of Egypt, but I became a murderer, and now I've been a shepherd. You know, follow me. You know, so he needs to know the authorities. And God answers, and God gives him his name. I am who I am. The English uh, I am in our Bibles is a translation of the Hebrew verb which means to be, to exist. God is. Who are you, Moses? I am, God replies. Then verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, there it is again, faithful God, has sent you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Say that the Lord has sent me. In the, in the Old Testament, when you see, if you're reading through your Old Testaments, in pretty much all the translations I looked up, any, anything recent, when you see the, the word Lord in all caps, that's the Hebrew for Yahweh. 
Yahweh. And, and really, it's, it's really the Hebrew for these, these letters, Y, Y-H-W-H. We don't really know the, what the vowels are. We just throw in the, the vowels so we can say it. Yahweh. Yahweh is basically a variation of the Hebrew verb to be, the I am. It literally means someone who is or he is. When God speaks of himself, he says, I am. And when we speak of God, we say, he is. Yahweh, he is. God gives Moses his name. But it's not just a name. It's not a name like John or Jim or Julie or Jane. I I had four J's. J seems to be a common first letter of names. Okay. God's name, it's not just a name, something you call him. It, It reveals his nature. It reveals who he is. I am who I am. Just think about what that means. Think about what that means. I have no beginning. I have no ending. I'm eternal. I simply am. Wherever you go, I am there. I'm omnipresent. Where, where, whatever you need, I'm able to provide. I'm omnipotent, all-powerful. Whatever you need to know, I have that knowledge. I'm omniscient. To Moses, God is saying, I am all-sufficient to meet any need you might have. I am. Remember, I, I called you, I care for you, I'm commissioning you, and I'm coming with you. You have no reason to fear, because I am who I am. Tell the people I am has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. God is I am for Moses, and God is I am for you and me. His name points to his ability, his, his nature to meet every need, to deal with every problem, to keep every promise. His name means that he can be trusted and must be obeyed 100% of the time. So I'd encourage you, whatever situation you find yourself in, trust and obey the God who is. I am. He's your Lord. He cares for you, and He's able to sustain and deliver you from any difficulty you face. Trust in Him. So that's our look at Moses' meeting with his Maker. And as we walk through, we saw how Moses encountered God. I hope we saw how that points to how we can encounter God as well. How God calls us, how God cares for us, how God commissions us, how God comes with us, how he communicates his character to us. He continues to, that's what scripture is all about. He continues to communicate who he is throughout scripture and throughout our lives and how his character means that he can be trusted. And now, in conclusion, let's look at how Exodus 3 points to Jesus. We've already pointed out several things, several ways uh, that God sending Moses to deliver the children of Israel from slavery points to, it pictures what God would do uh, 1,500 years later when he sends Christ to deliver humanity from slavery to sin. And we'll see more of this picture as we continue to look at the book of Exodus in upcoming weeks. But there's one specific thing I want to point out in Exodus chapter 3. Maybe some of you are thinking of it. In Exodus chapter 3, God reveals himself by his name, who he is. I am who I am, he says. And again, 1,500 years later, 
Jesus would identify himself with the I am of Exodus chapter 3. In John chapter 8, we find Jesus in one of those typical discussions with the Jewish religious leaders. These guys were a little irritating. Jesus says to them that those who keep his word will never see death. He's speaking of spiritual or eternal death. But the religious leaders misunderstand and they say in verse 53 of John chapter 8, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? Who do you claim to be? Under, if you've if you got Bibles, John chapter 8, who do you claim to be? Because Jesus is going to respond to that. Jesus then says, Who the... Sorry, Jesus didn't say this. Back up. Jesus, they say, who the heck do you think you are? Are you saying you're greater than Abraham? No way, no way. Who do you claim to be? And in John 8, 56 through 59, we read Jesus' response. They're going to come back at him, and then Jesus is going to say something amazing. Hold on to your hats or your seat. Nobody's wearing any hats anymore, dang it. Jesus says, this is verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews then said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus could do that. I don't know how he did it. Jesus uses the exact Greek word found in the Greek translation of Exodus 3. So so if you got out a Greek Bible and you could read it uh, uh, and go to Exodus 3, and when when God says, I am, there's a, a Greek word there, and then you move over to what Jesus says. Jesus uses that word because they had Greek translations at this, at this time, and Jesus is speaking in Greek. And Jesus Jesus. They said, who do you claim to be? Jesus says, I am. I claim to be the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. I claim to be God. And we might not, oh, really? And that, he just said that? And they, that's what he was saying? How, who, are, who are you to say that? Well, I, because I can say he was saying that because how they reacted to it. That's certainly how the Jewish leaders interpret what he said. Notice, they want to stone him because he's equating himself with Yahweh. He's claiming to be God. Jesus is, I am. And throughout the book of John, Jesus over and over uses this phrase to describe himself in some pretty amazing ways. Let's just go through them real quick. If you, hold on. John 6.51, I am the bread of life. Come to me for satisfaction. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Come to me to escape darkness. John 10, 9, I am the door. Come through me to meet God. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. Come to me for protection and provision. John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Come to me to be saved from death and experience eternal life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me to know the way, to know the truth, to know true life. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. I am, I am, I am, over and over again. And some people say, 
Some people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. When in fact he claims to be sufficient to meet every possible need. He claims to be I am over and over again. He claims to be Yahweh. And so, and so today, today, as we come to the communion table, as Chuck's going to lead us in communion, I just want us to remember that the one we celebrate at this table, the one is the one, the same one that came to Moses in the burning bush. He's the one who then hung on the cross to become our deliverer, to deliver us from our sin and to save us for all eternity. Jesus is the holy, faithful I am. And Jesus calls us and Jesus cares for us and Jesus commissions us and Jesus comes with us. So let's together remember him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we we do thank you for who you are, that you're the great I am. That you met with Moses and you want to meet with each of us. Lord, I pray that we would respond. Here I am, Lord, with eagerness, anticipation, ready to trust and obey you in all things. Lord, and be with us now as Chuck leads us to to the table, remembering the sacrifice you made. Without the sacrifice, there would be uh, no no salvation. We would have no hope of of being with you for all eternity. So, So just bless our time as we remember you in Christ's name. Amen.